Our Lord, we bless you that you did meet with us in worship, that you invited us into your house, you washed our feet as the Lord Jesus you said you would. We have talked with you, you have spoken with us by your own word, you have fed us at the Lord's table, you've set us out to serve you. Lord, what a, what a blessing that, we're, that we have that privilege. And now, our Lord, continue to teach us by your own word, and Lord, help us the whole burden of this class is, is that while we know there are specialized areas of counsel, we get that, but in most cases when people come with their needs, with their hurts, with their problems, with their sorrows, we have the tools to help them in the scriptures. And so we pray that this class will teach us how to be, as Paul Tripp entitled the book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, we pray in the name of the great Redeemer, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. Now, you all have a handout? Oh. We're not going to say the two people that this cake is for, but we're dropping you a hint. They're both in there. So you oh, are they? Oh, okay. We're dropping you a hint. It doesn't say 29, which is the number for our ladies. It says 39, so you know it's two men. And you know it's two men not in this room, okay? So I'll let you figure out who it is. Okay, here we are in Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. We're in Chapter 10, Discovering Where Change is Needed. And we've dealt with love, and we're always, love is the conditioning element in all that we do with people. Now we're dealing with knowing people. And that was our last meeting, and this one and then we're going to be dealing with speaking and then doing, okay? But knowing is most important. Now, a little, little anecdote. <clears throat> I was privileged in seminary to be under the influence of Dr. Jay Adams. Jay was the, was the uh, father, so to speak, of, of the biblical counseling uh, movement. And Jay was adamant, don't spend a lot of time gathering data. Find out what the issue is, direct people to the Word of God, give them their homework, and then they come back the next week and work with their homework and go it from there. That was kind of the formula that you had. And um, because Jay was Jay, he was about six foot four and a big, big, robust man, you did what he said. And, uh, but it always kind of bothered me and others. It just didn't, it seemed a little bit too simple because people's problems can be very complex. Well, I think that Paul Tripp is, is kind of, uh, kind of uh, an improvement, so to speak, upon what Dr. Adams said in his book. But, but the question is, why do you spend more time on knowing those to whom we are instruments of the grace of Christ? Why, why do you do that? And because, because a whole generation of counselors said, don't spend a lot of time on it. And, and this, is, this is such a memorable quotation. Personal ministry is not about always knowing what to say. Men, that's a good lesson for us, okay? It's not about fixing everything in sight that is broken. And again, the tendency of a man is to want to do that. Personal ministry is about connecting people with Christ so that they are able to think as he would have them think, desire desire what he says is best and do what he calls them to do 
even if their circumstances never get fixed. Now, that's hard for people to hear, but it's true. I mean, you know, frankly, somebody like Johnny Erickson is a quadriplegic. And, okay, the Lord could heal her of that if he wanted, but, but he didn't choose to do that. And if your only counsel is you don't have enough faith, please keep your mouth shut. Yeah. All right? That's not going to change. How, how do you deal with something like that? Um, okay, so and then he adds, it involves exposing, this is your, the knowing process, exposing hurt, lost, and confused people to God's glory so that they give up their pursuit of their own glory and live for his. It is about so thoroughly embedding people's personal stories in the larger story of redemption that they approach every situation and relationship with a God's story mentality. We need to be filled with awe at what the Lord has called us to participate in. Now, now let me give you two illustrations. One from the sermon. It's part of God's story that Jesus the King show himself as the approachable king, as one who's humble. That's, that's part of God's story in history. You want to connect people with that so that they know the, the approachable Jesus. Or marriage, marriage and the church. A marriage is meant to represent the big story, Christ and the church. Suffering. The suffering of a believer, and you want people to believe her, is connected with the cross of the Lord Jesus. Sin and grace and forgiveness, they're part of God's great story, and you want people to be swept up in that. If I, if I could use a probably a kind of a carnal illustration. If, if you know for sure that a certain mutual fund it is going to grow. It's, it's, going to, it's going to exponentially grow and make people wealthy. And you know what its story is going to be. You want people to invest in that stock. Well, you want people to invest their lives in Christ. That, that's what the goal is, connecting people with Christ. Now, with that making sense, let me have a sip of my coffee here. Ooh, thank you, Miss. What kind of coffee is that, Mrs. Shishko? Oh, it's Starbucks. Oh, it's winter. We we can have it even in the spring. And it's fresh ground, isn't it? Someone donated the Haven a fresh a coffee grinder. So, mm. what excellent coffee! I do not. No, I wouldn't be able to sit through the whole class if I had another cup of this coffee. With all due respect. I don't know what people taste in Dunkin' Dunkin', Dunkin Donuts coffee, but I can't handle it. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, you want to get the class alive? That's all you got to do. Starbucks versus Dunkin' Donuts, the North versus the South. All right. Okay. So, so what do you do with all this data? Making sense of of the data, you must not only gather data about a situation, not learning about people. I mean, that's what secular, that's where secular 
psychiatry and psychology is helpful. They'll gather data about a situation. But you've got to make biblical sense out of the data. That is, with a biblical worldview that considers the glory of God, the sinfulness of people, the fallen condition of an entire world, the reality of the devil, the grace of God and the gospel, and the realities and certainties of eternity. And I guarantee you, secular counseling does not have any of those things in its view. So if it doesn't, what good is it going to do really helping people? Biblical personal ministry is more about perspective, identity, and calling than about fixing what is broken. How does this apply to marriage, singleness, widowhood, cases of divorce, etc.? What's your perspective on divorce? Believe me, if you take the view, there's no divorce, no remarriage for any reason whatsoever. It's going to give you a very skewed perspective when you deal with someone who is divorced for biblical reasons. Singleness. You take the world's view. Well, I don't know. Not today. It's very different with singleness. But the world. Now, the world's view of single is very different. What What is your perspective on singleness? And so you say, okay, I'm single. How do you deal with that? What's my calling in life? Because there's a calling in each of these things. Okay. So you remind people that God does not make mistakes. He's working on a greater dream. So. He tries and troubles us. That doesn't seem to make sense, but he, he's, he's wanting us to grow like a, like a drill sergeant. It was interesting chatting with your son, Joe, Joe Jr., about boot camp and the Marines. I mean, but, okay, it was miserable stuff, but that's what made him what he was. So the Lord has boot camp for us, okay? He's working on a greater dream, so he tries and troubles us. He lets our dreams slip through our fingers so that as we learn to love each other, we grow more deeply in love with him. Now, let me use a very personal illustration. Frankly, this the haven has been a real challenge for me. Uh, Franklin Square, for a few years, there wasn't a lot of growth. We had a lot of, well, a lot of work, but it was basically basement cleaning, and then the church grew. Yeah. And it, it was encouraging and challenging. Well, it hasn't been that way at the haven we're dealing with a very different culture in a very different area. And, and, and we're not the only ones dealing with it. Any church will tell you that today. So, so the Lord has a greater dream as he tries and troubles us. And he lets our dreams slip through our fingers so that we do learn. Look, what are we learning? People say this is kind of like the New Testament church, the way people love one another and greet others. Okay, So God has his purposes in, in all of these things. Biblical personal ministry thrives when good exegesis, exegesis, when, when you take a text and you open it up and apply it. When I said those first few verses in Matthew 21 are about impressment, this is what a master or a Lord could do when he came to an era. That's exegesis. It's opening up uh, what a text means, okay? When good exegesis of Scripture leads to an accurate exegesis, the opening up of people of a person's life. That's a beautiful statement. You want to, you want to, my line with a 
kind of Christian Counseling 101 with pastoral theology students, is you, you want to align people's issues with what the Word of God has to say. Now, how do you organize the information biblically? You, you must take the time to think biblically about the data that you have gathered. What themes, what perspectives, what promises and commands of Scripture make sense of this person and speak to this situation? Now, here's your homework. We're not done yet. You, should, you might want to have a journal, okay, where you have a, a, a page or two or maybe three, four, five or more on anger. What, what does the Bible say about anger? Weakness. What does the Bible say about weakness? Strength. Where does it come from? Joy, okay? And you're going to have staples of these texts that are helpful to you. And here's the reason. If you want a kind of a, an umbrella text for biblical counseling, it's 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. And here's where the word comfort, it, it's, I think it's used about 12 times in this passage, and it's the same word, the word uh, for the Holy Spirit's work of comforting, drawing alongside and helping or encouraging. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, God of all encouragement, God of all help, who comforts, helps, encourages us in all our affliction, so that we, so that, this is biblical counseling, we may be able to comfort, encourage, help those who are in any affliction. That's the so-called counselee. With the comfort, help, encouragement, strength, with which we ourselves are comforted of God. And the, and the King James has it right, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the very same comfort with which we are comforted of God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort, help, encouragement, and salvation. And if we are comforted, helped, encouraged, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our suffering, see there's identification here, you will also share in our comfort. Now, brothers and sisters, that is absolutely profound. This isn't a professional shrink over you who has all the answers. This is, he's not a magician. You're a Christian going through trial, going through suffering and difficulty. And someone comes to you, and no, don't say, I know exactly what you're going through, because you don't. But as you listen to a person, and you can identify that with something in your life without drawing attention to yourself, say, you know, I can't walk in your shoes. But I've had something similar that's happened in my life. And, and let me just tell you what was helpful for me. And you say, well, that's self-centered. Well, if it is, then I guess the Bible's telling you to be self-centered because that's what it says to do. What has God taught you that you are able to minister to others? Uh, for myself in the ministry, 
I needed, early on in the ministry, older men who had been through it. And they could say, they'd listen, they sometimes weep with me, and, and then say, Bill, you need to realize I've dealt with something very similar. Or they might even say I've dealt with the same thing. But the fact that they could open up to me what was helped to them, that ministered to me. And, and so that's what we're getting at here with, with this statement. Garner from what you have learned in your own life, but don't stop there. You organize the data. And I love, I love Tripp. He says, organizing the data is like sorting laundry. You ladies will appreciate that. Of course, this was originally given to ladies, so they did smile and laugh at that. Put things into simple biblical categories. You know, you've got the underwear, you've got the pants, you've got the dresses, you've got the whatever it would be. Okay, And then ask, where and how does the Bible say that change needs to take place in this person and in this situation? For example, anger issues. Who doesn't deal with these things? Bitterness issues. Self-trust. Self-pity. Doubts. Sense of hopelessness. When, you, when, when this is what you're getting, and sometimes you don't get it from their words. You get it from the face. That's why you, know, you, you want to be with people and talk with them. Okay, and, and so where and how does the Bible say that change needs to take place in this person, in this situation? And, and usually, basically, it, it, uh, he talks about four hooks. Um, one is the situation. What, what's going on? You know, it's, it's marital strife, it's a drug addiction, it's an alcohol addiction, it's, it's a gambling addiction. I don't know, what's, what's going on? The response is, what does the person do in response to what is going on? In most cases, it just goes along with it and doesn't fight it or tries some way to deal with it that really isn't working, like putting a Band-Aid on cancer. But what is the person doing uh, in response to what's going on? If the person's getting counsel from someone else, you want to ask what counsel have have you gotten from others thoughts what does the person think about what is going on i mean if a person's addicted to pornography and doesn't think it's that bad you got a big problem right there see you have to have to deal with that um, with with people to kind of bore in on the effects of it and then the motives what does the person want out of or in the midst of what is going on i'm lonely therefore I watch things on the internet that I, that I don't want to. I need affection, and therefore I've been spending more time with my, my male counterpart at work than I should. Or I just, I just feel miserable, and so I drink more than I should. That kind of thing. What does the person want out of or in the midst of what's going on? I want comfort. I want, And you may have to ask the question, what do you think you're going to get out of the alcohol that you take? That kind of a thing. Now, Understanding and using these four hooks. The situation. Look at the background. Look at the personal history. Now, this is where, where as much as I love Jay Adams, I don't think he was the strongest. Doesn't make any difference what the personal history is. They've got an ill discipline. They need to straighten it out. You put on Christ and you put off evil, and that's the way you do it. Well, isn't that simple, folks? You know, when people have had... People have had a history where the default is abuse by a mother and father. That affects people. That warps people. doesn't mean it's helpless. But you need to understand that's the way they think. 
you know, if, if I'm, I've got to be careful. I, I counsel ease. And if I'm firm with them, they, they think I'm sounding like their father or their mother, okay? Now, so you, those are things you've got to be careful of. Crises, they bring fear to people. Well, perfect love casts out fear. You shouldn't be afraid. Well, people do get afraid because, because we, don't, we, don't, we don't grasp the perfect love of God the way we should. We don't have it. And so if people have experienced crises, yes, they're afraid when they get sick. Yes, they're afraid when they travel. Significant relationships and experiences. If you've been abused by your father, you don't think that's going to affect a person when they get older? And now here you've got to be careful. Uh, as a man, if I'm dealing with a woman who's been abused at that point, uh, whether the person speaks with my wife or some other godly woman who can deal with it, I don't want to go there with it. Uh, not that I don't want to. I don't think I should. It takes a woman. To, but anyway, that's for another day. So that's the background. Now the present, what's the life content? What are they dealing with in their home? Is the husband unemployed? Are they, do they have children that have disabilities? Uh, you know, what, what is the life context? Significant relationships that they have. If a, if a woman married to a husband still has a very close tie with her dad that abused her, there are going to be problems there. Um, a present family, present problem. What's going on? Talk to me about your family life. And if people really want help, they'll open up about that. The goal is to get to know the person in his or her world. You need to know the details because your call, now watch, is to build a bridge of understanding from the Word of God to his or her life so that he or she can understand what God has promised her and called her to do. Very simple, but but you'll use this a lot. Psalm 77 is, is the classic psalm for dealing with depression. And all you've got to do is, if you read, it's interesting, Darren Emanuel, um, one of our inmates, is, is taking a course in Psalms. And frankly, found it really good. I would have liked to have taken it. And the professor said, you have to either sing the Psalms or read them out loud. And great, great, doesn't mean true, but, but try reading them out loud. Listen to this. Listen to this and, 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 and you tell me what problem the Psalmist has. Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. On the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah, stop and think about that. Meditation is supposed to revive your spirit. Here it doesn't. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah, here's somebody who's supposed to live out of God's compassion. He says, in God in anger shut up. What's the psalmist's problem? That's exactly it. He's got an eye problem. 
I, 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 and I guarantee you, I do this with myself. I start focusing on myself. I have my own pity party, and only Pastor Shishko is invited to it. I'm going to be like this. I'm going to end up being, end up being, you know, Lord, really, have you forgotten me? Okay, it's an I problem. And when you hear that, and you will, over and over again, or it'll be this. She, 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 she. She did, she did say, whoa, wait a minute. Now you need to have some eye help. What do you need to do? See, rather than point the finger, so, so listen for these things, and it's interesting. To pray. Here's what the psalm says, I love this. And it doesn't even say in the original, then I said. It doesn't even say, I will appeal to this. He simply says, years of the right hand of the Most High. God hasn't changed. And you want a key in counseling? Just that. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. No, he hasn't changed. Okay, So, so that's the kind of thing uh, that, that, you, that you want a person to, to line up. So you see, the scriptures speak to what you're saying. A person will say, hey, this describes me. I can't sleep. Even when I read the Bible and I meditate, I feel miserable. And I don't think God loves me anymore. And well, don't say, well, you've got a mental problem. Say the psalmist had this problem. And read it to them and then say, hey, here's the problem. You're dwelling too much on yourself. Okay? And most of us do because we live in a very self-centered culture. All right, so that's, that's the present. Um, now, the responses look for themes, patterns, typical and habitual ways a person responds to situations and people. This will give you a window on what is going on in the person's heart. How do you deal with your children who drive you nuts? I blow up. Well, you know in there that you have a lack of self-control, okay? But that's, so that, that's, you know, that's a typical kind of response that they have. Or I don't say anything. Your husband gets angry with you, and the wife says, you know, I don't like going near an erupting volcano, so I, I clam up. That's a response. Not a right response, but it's an understandable response. Or people get depressed. Okay? Now, none of those is a right response, but that helps you know how they habitually respond to things. Okay? And, and, and a person's heart. Why do they do that? I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what my husband will do if I speak to him. Or I'm afraid of what my wife will do if I speak to her. Okay? So that gives you the window on the heart. Now the thoughts. This does get you to the heart of the person with whom you are dealing. Look for the fruit of wrong behavior that comes from distorted and unbiblical thinking about the past, the present, God, the future, and the person, herself, or himself. Cutting. Some years ago in a school, I won't say which one, in Nassau County, I was asked, believe it or not, to come in, work with a social worker, because I knew some of the people in the school. Uh, social work was a Roman Catholic fellow, a very wonderful man. Um, they were having incidences of cutting in the school. Now, one girl tried to commit suicide in the ladies' room. And this was new. It's not so much new now, but what is this? 
And this was new to me. I mean, I did some research beforehand. But, but you come to find out with this tormented girl, she was living with horrible guilt because, quite frankly, she had really fouled up her life. And so the cutting was almost a way of self-atonement. It wasn't first to draw attention to, to herself, but it's a way of punishing herself because she felt she needed to be punished. All right? So, so and that's often the suicidal thoughts. <coughs> I, I, am, my, I have so messed up my life that it is hopeless. And, and if there's suicidal thoughts, you, make, you ask, have you had thoughts of, of that? Now, people may have flitting thoughts, but if it's something they dwell on, that's an issue. A retreat to pornography. All right, there's it's distorted and unbiblical thinking about the past, the present, God, the future, and the person himself or herself. So what are these patterns? And then the motives. What, and here you get to it. What's ruling the person's heart? And that will control the person's behavior. What idols have taken control? The idol of success, the idol of peace and quiet, the idol of independence, the idol of material prosperity, the idol of control. I, I want to run this situation and nobody is going to interfere. With the girl cutting herself, it was the idol of peace. She wanted some kind of peace. And if that meant she had to die then that's what she would do. Now you see how the devil's at work in these things? Incidentally, just an aside. I am really convinced, the book of Revelation speaks of a point where demons are released. I am really convinced that we're more and more dealing with the power of an unleashed devil in our culture. And you've got to factor that in. Spiritual warfare and uh, so when, when well, I don't want to get into specifics, but there are, there, are cases, there are cases with mental illness where you really have demonic involvement. But anyway, but, but that, so, that, so, so, you're, so you're getting at these things. And, and sometimes, sometimes the motive is I just want peace. If I have to kill myself to do it, I'll get it. That's the devil who's a destroyer. What about Emotions. If you want to know what people really want, we have to learn about their emotional lives. Happiness is the result of getting with what our heart really craves. Discouragement is the emotional response of my heart when the thing I live for moves farther away from me. Nan, one of your um, videos that you did with a girl in China what did you ask her? Oh, what makes you feel happy? Right. What, what made her feel happy? Not going to school. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Denise. <laughs> and then you asked her what? What makes you feel sad? Going to school. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so, so see there... You're, you're, you're learning about the girl's emotional life and, and what goes on. But that's, that's actually a great question, though. You know, what makes you happy? What makes you sad? What makes you afraid? Uh, what, what makes you discouraged? 
What encourages you? What, what, okay, and, 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 you know, if somebody says, well, if I won the lottery, I'd be encouraging. You can say, oh, please, you don't know what you're getting into. But see, it gives you a window on, on their idols and what's governing them, all right? And then finally, loving God and people. This is so important, enough to take time. And folks, this is our culture. Frankly, if I go back 25 years in the ministry, problems were relatively easy to deal with. They are not anymore. Because we are living in such a confused, fast-paced society. It's it's a little bit like trying to do surgery on somebody who's on a merry-go-round going 150 miles an hour. So loving God and people enough to take time. If you understand the story of redemption, which is the Bible, you know that God does not seem to be in the fearful hurry that often drives our efforts to help others. Following his example means that we can take the time to ask, listen, interpret, and pray. Now, remember, here we go. This is kind of heavy-duty stuff, but this is important. For God, everything he has decreed is immediate always. God doesn't live in time. I don't know what I'm talking about. But it's not that God looks at things in a succession of moments. Everything to God is immediate always. That's talking about the simplicity of God. He doesn't have parts or passions. But for the creature, things that God has decreed must work out in time. And so be patient. Now, let me, let me give you an, an, an example. Well, it, it, it's, you know, people say, yeah, but what if, you know, what if they're outside of Christ and they die before the next council? And they say, okay, press the gospel on people. But, but folks, you know, the old life, if it ain't ripe, don't pick it. Okay? Leave, don't try to be the Holy Spirit with people. Sometimes I've had to say, look, I'm going to leave you with what I see as the consequences of your current way of life. And I assure you, if you don't repent and come to Christ for grace, it's going to get worse. And I know you don't believe it or feel it now, but when you do, get back in contact with me and we'll talk. And meanwhile, you're praying, Lord, make them miserable in their sin. Doesn't happen always. But on not a few occasions, you get a phone call. You know when you told me two months ago things were going to get worse? They have. Could we talk? And that's a, it, I know, folks, that's very hard. But again, if the fruit ain't ripe, don't pick it. All right? Now, let me just end with this in an illustration. I thought of it, actually, with the very story of, of the little boy that was, that was lost. Where was I? I forget what it was. With his dog. And he was finally found and, and reunited with his mother. Man, that was, that was a beautiful story. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. Here's one for your book, okay? In returning, Isaiah 30, 15. In returning and rest you shall be saved. That's what Christ is saying. Come to me, rest. 
in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. And I thought of that text with that little lost child. He screamed when he was found because he was afraid. I don't know who these people were that came to him. He had the dog, thankfully, but, but he was until they brought him to his mother. And, and then he was quiet and happy and so on. When a person comes to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit through Jesus, and you say, look, just rest in Christ, folks. Just come to him. But you don't know how bad things are. Look, you're feeling how bad it is isn't going to make things better. Okay, The misery of man doesn't work the mercy of God. You come to Christ and embrace him, believe in him. In returning and rest, you'll be saved. And in quietness and trust, you'll be your strength. And as they learn to just rest in Christ, then the other things will begin to fall into line. Okay? Okay. Done.